So two weeks ago, we began uh, introducing our ECC touchstones to you. These touchstones have been discerned by the pastoral team with input from the ministry planning team and council. And we believe that these touchstones represent three fundamental or quintessential features of who God is calling us to be. These touchstones are welcome, transformation, and presence. Welcome, transformation, and presence. We First week of the series, we put a little insert in the bulletin that had them on it. We're not doing that every week, but they are out there on that communications wall in the lobby there if you want one. So this morning, we're on the third week of exploring, or really just beginning to explore, presence. To be present is to understand that we are sent into the world as agents of change and redemption. Two weeks ago, we discovered that from the beginning, God has been present in and through His good creation, and that God has created human beings to represent Him to the world. We were made in God's image as icons, as it were, to image forth the character and the nature of God into the world. And now it's time for this week's edition of Fun with Words. So often we just hear a word, we know what it means, but it's sometimes helpful to break it down a bit. So if we break down the word represent and we do a little digging, we discover that it means to make present again, to make present again, or to symbolize, serve as a sign or symbol of something. Just as God was present at creation and created human beings to represent or represent or represent Him in the world, so He now calls us in Christ to represent, to be present, to be a symbol or a sign of the living God in the world. If God is present, we are called to be present too, sent into the world as agents of change and redemption. Last week, Pastor Kurt taught us about the witness life, what it means to be present with the good news of Jesus Christ for all people, and what it means for us to understand that basically every relationship we have with people who are not yet followers of Christ is, in fact, an evangelistic relationship. A few years ago, a book was released by David Kinnaman entitled, You Lost Me. The aim of that book was to give us the bad news that more and more people, especially young adults, were considering themselves done with church. And more and more were identifying as nuns. That is, on a survey, when asked what their religious affiliation was, they checked none. And so we had nuns and we had duns. It was a depressing concept. Some were even taking that book and proclaiming or prophesying the eventual demise of the church. Along those lines, a new book with new research came out just a couple of months ago. It was entitled, You Found Me. It's obviously a play on the last book's title, but it also is a more hopeful take on the topic. For while this book, this new book, does not deny the reality, the rise of nuns and duns, it also takes note of some hopeful research that shows that millennials and nuns and duns are a bit more open to faith than we might have thought, considerably so, in fact. So, for example, when people who are unchurched were asked to respond to the statement, if a friend of mine really values their faith, I don't mind them talking about it, nearly 80% either strongly or somewhat agree with that statement. And I find that both amazing and hopeful. It turns out there is also a greater openness among unchurched people uh, to say that at some point in the future they will return to church. One of the keys to becoming a church that reaches and keeps such people that, that sees this kind of fruit among such populations is that the senior pastor and other leaders of the congregation model personal evangelism. Guess what? Every single book I have ever read about ministry and mission in the church tells me that if the senior pastor doesn't model it, it's never going to happen. And that's a bit daunting at times. 
And so for a couple of days, I was a bit discouraged. I put the book down for a while because my gift is not evangelism. I have no problem talking about my faith. I have a problem feeling like I'm imposing something on someone. I don't like to make them uh, like submit to this agenda that I have. Also, for those of us who do not work on a church staff, we likely encounter unchurched people every day in our jobs. Like Margot said, we're in the trenches. I'm not in the trenches, so to speak. I work, the people, I work in a church. Everybody I work with already knows Jesus. Well, most of them. <laughs> but you're out there. How was I going to add that into my schedule? More importantly, how was I going to get more comfortable having faith conversations without feeling like I was imposing something on others that they weren't really interested in hearing? But then I did a little more reading, a little more praying, and I realized something. I felt like God said to me, what are you already doing that can become an opportunity to share your faith in word and deed? What are you already doing that could become an opportunity to share your faith in word and deed? And I realized that every single week, I go to my other office at Starbucks to work on my sermon, sometimes twice in a week. Every week, I am in a place in the community where I can build relationships And even if that goes a bit slowly, I can at least pray for people I see even as I'm working on my sermon. Although I have to tell you, this past week when I was there, one day, uh, there were at least, including me, three tables that had pastors at them. So that may not work in the long run. But right now, everybody seems to have the same idea. So by the grace of God in a space originally meant to get me into a different space, to clear my head and to have a good cup of coffee, I am seeking to turn that into holy ground. Then I was also reminded that I have a membership at the YMCA that I rarely use. I use it in the winter months when it's too cold or icy to go running. I run there. But perhaps I could begin to work out there a little more often. Some of you have memberships there too where I might be able to build relationships and share my faith. And finally, one of the things I've wanted to do for a couple of years now is to join a local astronomy club of some kind. For there too, I can build relationships. I can be an agent of change and redemption because after all, space nerds need Jesus too. What habits or hobbies do you already have in your life in which you could meet others and build relationships? You could begin to view this as an evangelistic opportunity. Again, where can each of us practice and live into the touchstone of presence more fully and more faithfully? Or to put it in the vernacular of our fifth community practice of witnessing, how can you and I grow in our ability to share our faith in word and deed? What steps might we take to raise our own evangelistic temperature one more degree? For the past couple of weeks, I have been working on my sermon at Starbucks, getting to know the names of the baristas and praying for them. I also pray for some of the customers when I see them, and I just, I'm just going to pray for that person. If we remember the bless material that Pastor Kurt reminded us of last week, this is how we begin with the letter B, begin with prayer. You don't know what God might do if you just practice praying for people. Last week, Kurt spent some time in the Gospel of John and examined the nature of evangelistic relationships with the woman at the well, as well as some of his own experience in reaching others with the good news of Jesus, both his successes and his failures. He also helped us to see that we can and do play a part in reaching others with the Gospel, even if we are not the ones to to be there when the deal is closed, as one person has put it to me. You see, closing the deal isn't the only part of evangelistic work. Maybe the fun part, but it's not the only part. You see, God is at work in the lives of those He draws to Himself long before we arrive on the scene and long after we leave. 
By the grace of God, we can each play a part in leading others one step closer to Christ, and we can know that we too are in fact doing the work of evangelism. Being present with others in our world in that 97% of our waking hours spent outside of ECC, ECC context and events each month. We seek to grow in our ability to share our faith in word, to bear witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. We are also called to share our faith in deed. So this week we're going to talk a bit more about the role of works of compassion, mercy, and justice as presence too. Our main passage will be 1 Peter chapter 2 that you heard read earlier. And in the first part of that passage, Peter speaks of who his readers were before they came to know Christ, and then he hints at steps they need to take now that they have come to know Christ. And in doing so, Peter does us a favor of previewing our next touchstone, transformation, which we'll be talking about in the weeks to come. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind since you've come to know Christ. Rid yourself of these things. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now that you have tasted the goodness of God and He has brought you into a relationship with Christ, there is more yet to experience, Peter says. There is more left to encounter on this journey. Namely, that we need to grow up that we need to be transformed. Rather, we get to be transformed. We get to grow up. It's not a have to, it's a get to. We get to be transformed into something new. Christiformity. People in whom Christ is being formed and fleshed out. Then after that, Peter refers to Christ as the cornerstone of the temple who is to become a stumbling stone for those who reject Him. For the people of Israel, a stumbling stone was something you trip over that, that causes you to stumble away from God. Those who reject Jesus stumble over him and fall away from God. And so he says in verse 7, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But then he switches things up a bit to speak to those who have not stumbled over Jesus and rejected him, but have chosen to embrace him instead. His whole point in bringing up those who have rejected Jesus is to compare them with us, those who receive and follow Jesus. And when he describes these people, when he describes us, he borrows from Old Testament imagery that described God's calling on the people of Israel. So speaking now directly to them and then also now to us. Verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As Israel was chosen, so are we. As Israel was chosen for a purpose, so are we. As Israel was chosen to be a royal priesthood, so are we. But what does that mean? To be a priest in the Old Testament sense was to be two things. It was to represent the people before God. It was to represent the people before God. To be a go-between who intercedes for the people in the relationships with God. It was to make the necessary sacrifices on behalf of the people so that they could remain in good standing with God. And it was to pray for them. We begin with prayer. Second, to be a priest was to once again represent, represent God before the people. Israel was originally intended in their chosenness to be a light for the Gentiles, the nations. 
Their chosenness came with responsibility, not just privilege. The responsibility that was Israel's to bear and is now ours to bear is that we are to be a light to the nations. That we represent God in Christ, in word and deed, in the world as agents of change and redemption. As Israel was a holy nation, so are we. To be holy is to be separate. It is to be set apart for sacred purposes. We as the church of Jesus Christ and we as individual followers of Jesus are set apart for God's sacred purposes as well. As Israel was God's special possession, so are we. We belong to God. We, like Israel, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Why? So that we may declare the praises of Him who has called us out of darkness and into His wonderful light. To declare the praises of God in the world is to proclaim the presence of God in the world. To declare the praises of God in the world is to declare the presence of God in the world. It is also to declare and proclaim the work that God has done and continues to do in and through Christ Jesus and His church. What might that look like? Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Peter compares us to those who were in exile in Israel's history. In 586 B.C., the Babylonians conquered Judah, the southern kingdom of God's people, and took the cream of the crop back to Babylon in captivity. They were foreigners and exiles. They could have felt, and indeed many did feel, that God had abandoned them and that somehow God's plan was now off track, but this was not the case. For even in exile, God had a plan and God's redemptive purposes were at work. The prophet Jeremiah wrote a letter to the exiles during this time to encourage them. This is what he said. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Just as Israel was in exile, so are we. Peter calls us foreigners and exiles. We, like they, are called to live differently in this place. We are called to live good lives, Peter says. We are called to do good deeds. Why? So that those among whom we live and work and play and go to school will see our good works and will be drawn into the kingdom of God. So that on the day that God visits us, they may glorify God as we will. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says something very similar to this. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Not only are we to be present in sharing our faith with our words, we are also to be present in sharing our faith with our good deeds. Good deeds of holy and good lives in which we bear the fruit of works of compassion, mercy, justice, kindness, friendness, grace, love. 
But these two ways, word and deed, these two ways of sharing our faith go together. They, they don't need to be divorced from one another. In fact, in the research done for the book I mentioned earlier, they discovered, quote, churches where compassion and justice ministries were a priority were also some of the best at reaching new people and growing through new professions of faith in Christ. In other words, those that cared about the physical, mental, and social needs of the community were the most likely to be most effective at bringing people to Christ into a congregation. Again, those that cared about the physical, mental, and social needs of the community were the most likely to be most effective at bringing people to Christ and to a congregation. When 12 business groups committed to doing evangelism in the country of Thailand, they were studied by missiologists, and there were some interesting findings. Each of these 12 businesses had as sort of a philosophy a business-as-mission philosophy, but they used two different methods to accomplish this mission. The first six businesses focused on conversion as their primary objective. And they considered developing a successful business to be a a byproduct. If it it happened, icing on the cake. But it was not their driving goal. They used business as a way to get in the country, to make connections, to bring people to Christ. Mark Russell, the author of the book detailing the study, called these businesses the the converters. The converters. The other six businesses, however, took a different approach. They focused on building businesses that succeeded. They wanted their business to succeed. They hired local people. They built the local economy and overall did more social good. These people, these businesses, Russell called the blessers. The study discovered that the blessers saw more conversions to faith than did the converters. In fact, survey says, at a ratio of 48 to 1. Over several years, 96 people gave their lives to Christ through the blessers, and only two came to faith through the converters. If we want to be effective in reaching people with Christ, we need to be present to our community and to our world in both word and deed, not merely one or the other. When we first started this journey, toward becoming a more healthy missional congregation. As a part of the process, we launched five subcommittees or teams around five objectives. And one of those teams was given the daunting task of coming up with a biblical story that might serve as a picture or a metaphor for how we see ourselves and where we think God is is taking these things. After a healthy process of prayer and discussion and discernment, that team landed on a story that was a bit harsh and critical. I remember thinking, I'm so glad I had nothing to do with this. People will be upset with me if they thought I suggested this. The story they arrived at was from Revelation 3. It's one of the letters written by the Apostle John to one of seven churches. It's a a word of warning and exhortation from Jesus that speaks to a church that is stable and comfortable. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation, Jesus. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Not an encouraging passage. To be hot is good, to be cold is good. We often think of hot is good and cold is bad, but in that context, hot or cold, either one was good, they all were useful. But to be lukewarm, not so much. Lukewarm water was fit only to be spit back out again. But notice what the issue was in the passage. I know your deeds. I know your deeds. Their deeds were not what they ought to be. Their deeds were lukewarm. 
Just as we asked earlier about how we might raise, each raise our evangelistic temperature one degree, so we also ask, how might we raise the temperature of our good deeds in the world and in our community one degree as well? I think we do quite well in our deeds, and I would like us to do more to connect our words to our deeds. I would like us to do more to connect our words to our deeds. That's not to say that there aren't already some good things going on in terms of sharing the gospel with our neighbors in the midst of our deeds. There are. There truly are. But what would it look like for us to raise our temperature one degree in our works, compassion, mercy, and justice? What would it look like to be more intentional about adding words to our deeds? What would it look like for each of us as individuals and households to raise the temperature of our deeds one degree as well? Again, I draw your attention to two other letters in the Blessed Evangelistic Initiative. Listen with care, serve with love. How can we better listen to those whom God has placed in our lives? How can we better serve our neighbors in love in small ways and in big? One of the small ways that Kim and I try to serve is by giving generous tips at restaurants. In particular, we go to a certain restaurant enough that we've developed a relationship with one of the waitresses and we're praying for her. And so we think, well, I'm, I mean, I was there a couple of weeks ago and I gave her a big enough tip that the, the, the iPad said, are you sure you meant to do this? I said, yes, I meant to do this. We do that. It's just a small way that we can bless someone. If you frequent a restaurant or a Starbucks or what have you, how might you raise the temperature of your good deeds, one degree. I just thought of something. Of course, I'm telling you things I do, like I'm always successful, but I'm proud of this. Um, When you go to Starbucks or to some place where you pick up your drink or your order, how often do you tip? I think sometimes we don't think about that. There's still people back there preparing things. You're not being waited on, but you're picking it up. I always tip even at Starbucks. I don't care if all they did was go, here you go, which is all I get. I always tip. This is a way to be a blessing. Bring the neighbor's trash cans back up the driveway on trash day. Toss the newspaper up near the front door. Pick up trash as you walk the neighborhood. You could be tempted to think, what does this have to do with the gospel? Let me just remind you, this is not only about serving and blessing others. I think it does do that. It's not only about this. It's also about training ourselves to become the kind of people who bless and serve others as a way of sharing our faith in deed as well as in word. We do these things to train ourselves to become different kinds of people. There are ways we are already doing this here at ECC. Our Stephen ministers are present to the pain of others in our congregation and in our community at times. Those who serve with Titus time uh, every other Friday are present to the needs of young international wives and moms. Those who serve at Miller Elementary School and Bower Community Center are present to those whom they serve each week. Just yesterday, a good number of us joined with some of the Miller School families to be present, indeed, by picking up trash in the neighborhood around the school. I'm sure there are other ways that we at ECC are doing this well, but these are the ones that spring to my mind as I was working on the sermon. Sometimes we can be present to others in deeds from a distance. We can't always go, but we can send others or we can give financially. Thinking here of New Hope Haiti, Covenant Kids Congo. In addition, 13 people, including 10 teens, are going to be going on their annual missions trip to Detroit in a few weeks. And one of the things they need is warm gloves to share with the homeless people they're going to be working with through Covenant Community Care, which is a ministry of local covenant churches there in Detroit. 
There's a link in your Bible app, live event. You can go straight to that, uh, to, to Amazon.com. You can order the perfect gloves, and they will send them to Detroit. Or in the coming weeks, we're going to have a place for you to collect them here if you'd rather do it that way. I'll just direct you to the bulletin uh, for more details on what exactly is needed. Because these kinds of things, too, can raise our temperature, the temperature of our good deeds, one degree. It's a bit of a side note, not completely a side note, but I want to celebrate something. Not only do we have 10 teens going on this mission trip, but two of them, Asher Duncan and Lazaro Singh, are giving up playing football that Friday night to go on this missions trip. How cool is that? And of course, the reality is that all of them, adults and teens alike, are sacrificing something to go. It's fall break. <laughs> They're sacrificing something. In addition, if you do not currently get the ECC e-letter, now is a good time to sign up. This week's lead article tells the story of another young man in our congregation who is seeking to make a difference in the world by good deeds, Nathan Park. So I encourage you to sign up to read his story and to celebrate with us. This past week at the ministry planning team meeting, we opened our meeting as we do every meeting with a question. Where have you seen God at work in your life, in your relationship since we last met? Where have you seen God doing something? Now, initially, I'm sure that question, that, that taking time at a meeting to do that, doesn't sound terribly productive. Like, why are we doing this? This isn't accomplishing anything. But it's a very important and good question. It sets the tone for the meeting. It reminds us of the goodness and the, and the grace of God that is at work all around us if we would just learn to pay attention to it. It increases our faith that God can continue to do these things. And what amazed me that evening as we asked the question and people shared their stories was how many of us, if ten of us shared something, eight or nine of us shared in this area of presence how God was directing us to be present to our neighbors and our community. My prayer is that what we saw that night in that discussion, in that question answering, that will overflow and be multiplied into each of our lives and all of our ministries in the coming months. If you, if you are a part of a small group, if you are a part of any meeting in this church, I challenge you to begin that meeting by asking that question, where have you seen God at work in your life since we last met? Presence and each of these three touchstones. Presence is incredibly important. This sermon series on touchstones, touchstones is not just another sermon series. What we are talking about, what we will do in response to these things is vital to our health and mission here at ECC. And so I urge you to continue to pray, to continue to process and respond to the questions we bring you, the tasks we bring you each week, and to go and do whatever God's Spirit directs you to do in response to these things. For in these things, I truly believe, in these things, we will see God bring about a monumental change of heart. And we will be sent into the world as agents of change and redemption for the nourishing of the kingdom of God and for his glory. Would you pray with me as we close?